Welcome to the Abiding Word with Pastor Jim Swigert of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Pastor Jim is teaching through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now let's join Pastor Jim for today's Abiding Word. Again, well, since you have your Bibles with you, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where today we are going to, Lord willing, uh, finish our study in 1 Thessalonians. As we have been seeing the last few weeks, the Apostle Paul had been encouraging these believers, uh, encouraging them that they would indeed meet their loved ones um, with the Lord, those who had passed away, who died. Uh, and Paul said that they were asleep, but their spirit was with the Lord. And we talked about that being the rapture of the church, something that is yet future. And then at the beginning of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we looked at uh, how Paul explained the day of the Lord, the coming judgment, the wrath of God poured out on an unbelieving world, and yet that's future. And so he was encouraging them that they were not appointed for the wrath of God, but salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... As we come to 1 Thessalonians 5 in this last passage, we're going to see that uh, Paul gives final exhortations to that church. And so these exhortations that we you know, have Paul, as we read here, these are from the Holy Spirit to us as a church. And I think it's rather fitting for us uh, you know, as, as a body, as a new, newer church. Can we, are we, we're not new anymore, right? We exist. It's been, I forget how many months, but it's not like it's new, it's fresh, it's still exciting because of you. Amen? Um, so, uh, again, we're going to see how important it is by walking in the Spirit, walking in the light, waiting for the return of Jesus for His church, but how to live. How to live within the community of a church. You know, a church isn't the building, it's not a school, it's not this uh, beautiful facility that we get to meet. The church is people, amen? It's a body, it's believers in the Lord, uh, you know, and we all are different. Um, we are all useful in the church. We're kind of like all tools. Let me explain. A bunch of tools were gathered together for a little meeting. The hammer was pointed to preside over the meeting when Brother Screwdriver objected, saying, Brother Hammer, you're too noisy to preside over this meeting. You're always driving home your point, always nailing people. I call for your resignation immediately. Brother Hammer responded, Well, what about Brother Screwdriver? All you ever do is spin around in circles. That may be true, said Brother Screwdriver, but at least I'm not like Brother Plain. His work is on the surface, so shallow. What right does he even have to be here? He says, if you're going to kick me out, protested Brother Plain. What about Brother Ruler? He thinks he's always right, measuring everyone else by his standards. Well, if you're going to come down on me, argued Brother Ruler, what about Brother Plier? He really needs to get a grip. 
And at least I don't rub people the wrong way, said Brother Plyer, who was staring at Brother Sandpaper. Just then, the master craftsman walked in, and as he used each tool at the perfect time, he created an object of great beauty. And if you didn't know who the great master craftsman is, that's Jesus. And all of us were like tools. None of us are perfect, but God uses us anyway. Praise the Lord. And he creates something that is just magnificent, the body of Christ. It's glorious, the most glorious essential on the face of the earth. The most unique people is the church. It should should be the church uh, coming together in the name of Jesus. So in this, we're going to see Paul give great exhortations for his church, for the Lord's church. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you. <laughs> Lord, I don't know who the hammer is here, and I don't know who the screwdriver is. We're all we're all flawed, Lord. But we are so thankful by the power of your Holy Spirit. You, you've chosen us. You've called us out of the world. You've called us into your marvelous light. You've called us into fellowship in a local body. And we're so thankful, Lord, that we can participate in church and have fellowship and to live life together, Lord. And it's our great desire that we would be such a witness, Lord, to the world of your goodness, Lord, and your greatness and your love. And Father, as we come to the end of our study in First Thessalonians, we pray, Lord, for each one of our hearts to receive these exhortations, Lord. May we all just praise you, but also, Lord, may we allow the Spirit to work in our heart that we might draw closer to you, Lord. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So let's take a look at First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verses 12 and 13. It says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. So notice here the phrase, who labor over you in the Lord. And Paul here is specifically pointing to church leadership. And no matter what uh, family or uh, workplace or government, school, whatever, there, there is an authority that you know, God has ordained. And we can look at the family. That's uh, easy to, uh, for us to recognize, I guess. You know, within the family, God has called an order or harmony to take place in that family. And that is that the man ought to be the spiritual leader of the home. And when the man is the spiritual leader of the home, there's that harmony that God desires. And in the church, there is spiritual leadership. And we see that throughout the, the New Testament. Uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, bishops, overseers, pastors, elders, deacons. I certainly believe that there are, you know, pastors, elders, deacons, uh, within the church, but those aren't positions. I don't think there's any position in the church. I've had people over the years say, well, is there a position for me in the church? Well, there's only one position in the church, and that is the chief shepherd. His name's Jesus, and it's his church. There's no other positions, but there needs to be harmony within the church, and so God has structured 
in his word uh, the need for church leadership. And we have a very simplistic view of church leadership. Uh, we, we basically have a church board, a board of trustees. Some may call it board of elders. I, I think the best description is a church council, more biblical, I think, than what we might see today. But to oversee, to have to take care of necessary things that have to take place within the body from executive standpoint, some things with the government and all of those things, and then also essentially shepherding the flock, leading the flock. It's essential. And without proper church leadership or a biblical leadership, there's not that harmony. And the Bible is clear on, on leadership. Now, there are different styles, per se, we have under our, uh, you know, structure, if you will, we have, as I mentioned, a church board, but they come along the pastor. Within the Calvary Chapel movement, the Calvary Chapel pastor is the one that's affiliated with the Calvary Chapel. And then you have the church board. And I do believe that the scriptures teach that there are elders as well, not necessarily a part of the church board. There's also deacons. You know, from Acts chapter 6, we know that there's servants who are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit to help serve in the church. I definitely believe that we have servant leaders. And so we're, we're blessed in the sense that we're a new church. And you think about how's that work within a new church? Well, God has called a pastor. I've been blessed to be a Calvary Chapel pastor since 2003 or four, whatever it is. Uh, pastoring a church, another church for 16 years as a senior pastor, served as an associate pastor the last couple of years. And then, you know, last August, um, the Lord called us here to, to pastor here. But in the same mindset, he calls people together. You have a church board. We have men who we are blessed with that the church can't function. But then we also have, and I believe the Lord will raise up elders, deacons, as the Lord sees fit. To Titus, Paul said, you know, go and appoint elders in every city. In that word appoint, it really means ordain. And to be ordained certainly comes from God, but part of the ordination process is the body of Christ recognizes that, that person or persons. So, And I believe God will do this in time. Uh, we're, we're counseled from the Spirit of God in His Word. You don't lay hands on people too soon. And that's certainly, a, we're all flawed, right? But the Scriptures teach not to lay hands on people too soon, uh, maybe for their sake, but certainly for the sake of the church. So, again, so many things that happen behind the scenes in, within a church that we need leadership, but then also to shepherd the flock. And that's, that's, um, that's laborious. Uh, as Paul says, those who labor among you. Uh, I can remember years ago, we had a, a fellow, they came to the church the first time. And uh, the, guy, the guy brought his 18-year-old son and he, he, he requested that he would become my assistant pastor. Mind you, they never came to the church before. First time, just maybe you need to come to the church for a while. But this guy came out of the Calvary Chapel movement. He understood, but he hadn't walked with the Lord, as I found out later. My point in all of that is it needs to be in harmony with the Lord, right? And ministry is, there's labor to it. There's, there's work. You may think I only work 
one hour a week, right, here? Some of you are laughing because you probably told me that, right, before. Colson knows. See, Colson just went to Africa. He understands it's more than one hour a week. But that word labor among you speaks of toil. It speaks of striving in a biblical way to exert, exhibit great effort and exertion. Ministry is laborious in the word, in prayer, in discipleship. In fact, Colossians chapter 1. This is something interesting. You know, early on in my, my career as a pastor, I would go to these, you know, a couple of these ministerial meetings back where we used to live, and that was a waste of my time. But uh, they were talking about how they'd go golfing three times a week and, you know, 18 holes, three times a week. How, how do you do that? You know, what about the flock? Who's praying for the flock? Who's, who's preparing? You know, but interesting what Paul said. And this is the mindset that we have here at Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To, the, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. What's Paul saying there? Well, the mindset is making disciples. That's, that's, the, that's the commission, the great commission that God has given to us. As ministry leaders, as pastors, elders, deacons, youth leaders, ministry, it's about making disciples, not converts. I don't mean to boast in anybody, but I praise God as this work began and talking with Colson, his mindset, I don't I don't puff him up, but to tell you how, how thankful we are that we have somebody who wants to not build a youth group, but make disciples. And I get goosebumps when I hear that from young people because they get the Great Commission. And you know, with the Spirit of God, God's going to use them. We're not about to make a big youth group or a big church or anything. Our goal is to make disciples. How do we make disciples? Well, we shepherd the flock. It's about people. Notice the word then in 1 Thessalonians um, Verse uh, 12, it says, admonish. What's that word mean? Well, it means to correct. It means to nudge people in the right direction, to lead them, to shepherd them, um, feeding them, warning them. And, of course, a great example that we have from the scriptures in this is, is Peter, of all people. You know, the man who always is sticking his foot in his mouth with the Lord. But yet, after the resurrection and after he was, you know, filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, Peter got it and listened to what he wrote in his first epistle under the inspiration of the Spirit, encouraging churches and leaders. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I am a fellow elder. So he wasn't the Pope and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Listen, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. 
that does not fade away. Those are the marching orders for shepherds. It's not, a, it's not marching orders for CEOs. It's, it's the marching order for shepherds. Not dictating, but leading, protecting, and warning the flock. And that's the calling of a pastor, is to be a shepherd. And then we move on then. We see three things here in these first two verses, of verses 12 and 13. Three things from the church toward the leaders, those who labor among you. The first one, recognize. Recognize them, those who labor among you. So recognize them speaks of respect, getting to know them. Don't avoid them. Don't just acknowledge them when you have spiritual burdens. You know, that happens, doesn't it? Well, we, we don't want to take anybody's time up. You know, in a fellowship, in all of us together, and this is like preaching to the choir here, the unity that we have is special. Nobody's above anybody. And we, we should be able to bring our spiritual concerns or our our, our you know, things that are going on in our life, our trials to anybody. We should, we should be so close together, but certainly you bring it to the church leader, certainly you bring it to the, to the pastor. But my point in this, recognize them, but don't ever, ever put them on a pedestal. My pastor told me years ago, if you put me on the pedestal, I'm going I'm to let you down at some point. And then esteem them for their work's sake. Value them, not because of their great personalities, but because of their work. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And it says here, Be at peace among yourselves. When there, you know, think about your family. When there's peace in the family, it's a good thing. Right, moms and dads? It's a good thing when there's peace. And it's a good thing when there's peace within the church. And there is peace in this church, and I love it. Peace and love and unity. You know, that's be at peace among yourselves. Verse 14 then. Now, we exhort you, brethren... Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. So when it says here, brethren, Paul was pointing to all those in the church, all those who are in Christ. And so we all, together, being born-again believers, having the Holy Spirit, we have responsibility. Well, what are those responsibilities? Well, Paul lists some here. Warn those who are unruly. Those who are unruly. Do we have any unruly folks here? One. Everybody's pointing at Jason. You know? <laughs> or you might know him as Brocephus, but um, You made a reputation for yourself, brother. All in love. Yes, thank you. But unruly means it's a military word which speaks of or describes those who are out of rank. Not in order, rebellious at heart. It speaks of those who march to their own drum. They want things done their way, and they're not going to do it any other way but their way. 
and always wanting, you know, and, and then when they don't have it their way, they disassociate from others. That's unruly. It could involve sin as well. And then it says here, comfort the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted refers to those who are discouraged, who need encouragement. You know, someone once said, certainly not, I'm not smart enough to come up with something like this, but somebody once said, um, in the Lord, encouragement in the Lord is like peanut butter sandwich. The more you spread it around, the better things stick together. Amen? There's some truth in that, right? When we're encouraging to one another, we want to be around one another. If we're being discouraging, it's like being around a porcupine, right? You don't want to be around people that are discouraging. You want to be around people that are encouraging. And so then it says here, uphold the weak. And this uphold the weak is not speaking physically weak, but those who are spiritually weak, literally saying here, hold on to the weak and don't let them fall. Again, this isn't just the pastor's responsibility or a church leadership responsibility. It's all of our responsibility, which I think the implication here is that we are to be connected together as a body, right? And then we are to comfort the faint-hearted. We are to uphold the weak. And, you know, so this isn't speaking of those who are physically weak, but those who may be spiritually weak. And... Um, because we have this mindset of discipleship. Who's called to make disciples? Praise God for all the hands raised up. The rest of you? All right, pay attention. We're all called to make disciples. Interesting, every one of us are in a position or in a place in our walk with the Lord. We might be a new believer. We might be somebody who's walked a short period of time with the Lord. We might be somebody who's walked a longer period in the Lord, but not quite there where God wants you. And that would refer to all of us. But what's the, what's the gist or what's the goal of a disciple of Christ? Well, I believe as we follow him, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He will make us to be like him who fishes for men. We make disciples. So mature disciple in the Lord is one who is making disciples. Well, that's hard to do. I don't like people. Well, right there's a problem. <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I have enough. I, I'm not there spiritually. Well, yes, you are. We're all called to grow, and when we do grow in the Lord, part of our growing in the Lord is that we're going to share with others. We're going to come along those who are weak in the church, and we're going to come alongside that, that new believer who needs to be shown how to be strong in the Lord. I don't think any of us here just all of a sudden became strong in the Lord. Being strong in the Lord takes time. It takes being in the Word. It takes people who had shown us. How many recognize those who had shown you over the years how to be strong in the Lord? It might be your parents. It might be somebody in the church, spiritual leaders. We, we've got to be shown. The disciples, they were so blessed, they walked with Jesus for three years. And discipleship takes a long time. It's not, 
you know, as a church, we can't expect somebody to come and get saved, but then two weeks later, they're out there, you know, strong in the Lord. No, we got to walk with them. we got to encourage them. We've got to uphold the weak. And so in Ephesians 4, remember those exhortations, the gifts that God, Jesus, gave himself to the church. You know what for? Well, to equip them for the work of the ministry. We're all called to ministry. We're all called to serve in some fashion to make disciples. And then it says, be patient with all. Ugh. Be patient with all. I, see, my flesh wants to go to, who has a different translation that doesn't use the word patient? That just sounds so brutal. Patient, because that's a weakness, right? Of our flesh, it's not, we're not, it's not easy to be patient. But long-suffering, let's use that word, long-suffering, long-tempered. You know, this is, again, one thing that all of us could probably use is to be a little bit more patient with others. Especially living in the days that we're living in. Because, you know, the word tells us that man's love would grow cold. We're, we're living in that time where, man, it's, people are offended over everything. People are at each other's throats all the time. I mean, you can't even watch the news anymore. I don't care what station it is. Somebody's at somebody's throat. It's like, man. Well, God told us in his word it's going to happen. Love will grow cold. But that ought not to be from us as a church. So to be patient. In the church family, again, the setting that Paul's talking about, within the church, there's all kinds of you know, different people, we, different personalities. Amen? That's a good thing. There's nobody that here should have the same personality as this person or that person or me or anybody. You know, we're, can I use this phrase? We're all like snowflakes, not, we're different in the Lord. Don't take that personal. It's a good thing that we're different. We're young, we're older. Some are smarter than others. Some are screwdrivers, hammers, planes, measuring, you know, tape measures. We're all different. That's a good thing. But we do need to be patient with one another. And, and remember how the Lord sees us. Not everybody's in the same place spiritually. Verse 15 says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. And so we're not to be vengeful, but be forgiving. Don't pay back wrong for wrong. Certainly a tall order at times when we're wrong, right? There I use the example on 275 or 75 or 71. It's brutal out there sometimes. Don't be vengeful, but be forgiving. Don't, don't pay back and evil with evil. Verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Rejoice. This is what the Spirit of God tells us. Rejoice always. And then the flesh says, but <laughs> the word rejoice here does not leave any room for debate. This is, this is an exhortation from the Spirit of God to rejoice always because we have plenty of reasons to rejoice. Again, joy and happiness isn't the same thing. Joy comes from that inner peace that we have with God in our relationship with Him. 
talked about this in our men's prayer breakfast yesterday. We can count it all joy in various trials. It doesn't mean we're happy. It doesn't mean we, we go through things that bring us down, but we can have joy in our hearts because of our relationship with God. Well, what reasons do we have to rejoice? Well, we sang this morning many of the songs, I am loved by God. That's a reason to rejoice. The enemy lies, doesn't he? He tells us God cannot possibly love you. But he does love us. I am saved and have been declared righteous. I am saved by the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Should... My soul should be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Psalm 13, 5 says, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Do you thank the Lord for your salvation every day? We should thank him. He's done something for you and I that you and I could never do ourselves, and that is to be in a right relationship with God. And we should be rejoicing in that every day. You know, God is with me. What a promise of the Lord. God is with me. How often do we say, where are you, Lord? Well, he's always with us. And we live with the promise that he's given us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Psalm 89, 15 through 17 says, God's presence, or excuse me, I need to read it. Is it up there on the screen? I don't have that one. I guess I'll look it up then. Psalm 89. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound they walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King to the Holy One of Israel. Now, just in those few verses there, the ones we read previously, we have the word righteous. That word righteous speaks of a de declaration in, you know, from God that we are in a right relationship with him. Again, something that you didn't do on your own, you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, but he did for us, that we are made righteous. He's declared us to be righteous, and we can you know, rejoice in that. And what about this one? God is on the throne. Is that something that we can rejoice Aren't we thankful God is on the throne? We live in a crazy, chaotic world, but the Lord is on the throne. First Chronicles 16.31 says, Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth land and let the say, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Because God's on the throne. It's easy to say that but not believe it. But it's much more than a cliche. God is on the throne. What's that mean? God's in control. There's nothing outside the control of God. That means this crazy world that we live in, God's allowing it to happen because we know 
what the scripture says about future times. And we can, we can live in these times with various trials and different things going on in this world because of who he is. He's on the throne. He's given us promises. And we should be thanking him for our salvation every day. Amen. His mercy. And then verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. So does that mean we uh, 24-7 have our hands folded and we're praying to God? If you've done that before, let me know. How'd you do it? But no, this is, this is something that is, you know, in our minds. It's an attitude all day long, praying for things, praying to God, praying without ceasing as things come in our mind. And listen, if we are giving thanks to God, if we're rejoicing always, there's going to be things that we're going to be communicating with God in prayer. We're going to give Him thanks. We're going to give Him praise. We're going to, you know, we're going to worship Him with our life. And we can pray to God about the smallest of things. And when we're walking with the Lord and having that relationship with Him, we're going to pray for the smallest of things. Verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Giving thanks. In everything give thanks. And there's a difference between rejoicing and giving thanks. Rejoicing is a mindset. We have those reasons to rejoice because of who God is, what He's done, the promises. But giving thanks is action. It's a choice. It's a byproduct of joy. We ought to be thankful in all things. It says here, in everything, give God thanks. It's the will of God for our lives. Even during the Ohio State-Michigan football game, we need to be giving thanks to God. Or any time that... See, I just ratted myself out. That's why I brought that up, because it's not joyful. It's not rejoicing. It's not giving thanks. But how often do we really go through life when the flesh is kind of like overtaking us when we're not giving God thanks? But God is so faithful when he does, you know, get our attention and we begin to give him thanks. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful that that was just a period of time and you're, you haven't left me and you're here with me and you're so faithful. You, you forgive me. You pour out your mercy to me. Lord, I thank you so much. And see, the Bible says his mercies are new every day. Every morning, we have that potential to walk in just everything that uh, we're seeing here with these exhortations. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Don't quench the spirit. The spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in the life of a believer. It's like a fire. And the Spirit of God can be flamed and you know, be ignited, or it could be quenched. We had a great time this past Wednesday night, and we'll continue on uh, you know, the next several Wednesday nights by, before our prayer time to look at the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's vital that we acknowledge the work and person of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I believe that when we do, God is more glorified. We have a more sense of walking and rejoicing always in Him, always giving Him thanks, and acknowledging the move 
of the Spirit in us. You know, when you when you came to the Lord at, at the very moment of conversion, when you said yes to Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And then we have the Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and direct us. And then he empowers us to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. And so when we acknowledge the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ is magnified because that is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. His main ministry is to bear witness of the Savior, bear witness of Jesus. And we're, when we're acknowledging the Holy Spirit, these things, that these exhortations are going to be fulfilled in our life. But we can quench the Spirit. How do we quench the Spirit? Well, being disobedient to the Lord, whatever it might be. We can quench the Spirit when we're not engaged with the, with the Lord. When we're out of fellowship, out of the Word, not praying, not walking in obedience. All these things can quench the Spirit. And within the body of Christ, the Spirit can be quenched if our mindset is not the mind of Christ. Because then, you know, the flesh, the flesh is powerful. That's why we have to feed the Spirit. In Galatians 5, the Bible tells us, Paul explained the, the battle that goes on within the believer, the, the Spirit and the flesh. I do not believe this, the Scriptures teach that the old nature is completely dead. I believe that Paul said we need to crucify the flesh. And how do we crucify the flesh? Well, we're obedient to the Spirit. And we'll get into in Second Thessalonians. Probably, most likely, there were some, you know, things going on there. Well, we know there were things going on there at Thessalonica that, uh, you know, people were chasing bad teaching, and there were false teachers there. Even a, a letter written uh, that had Paul's name on it, which it wasn't. And but do not despise prophecies. Really speaks of the word of God. You know, the Lord speaks through sermons, preachers, pastors, but the Lord, the Holy Spirit also speaks through the body of Christ as individuals to others. And so we don't want to quench the spirit when we just take that word and just, well, that person, they could never tell me anything. That would be quenching the spirit. See, we can harden our hearts to the teaching of the word or receiving a word from somebody. We can quench the spirit and just you know, push it aside. And that's why it's so important, not only that we're in the Word, but we're in fellowship together and having that accountability. And again, I believe because the work of the Holy Spirit in every one of us and the love that we have here, the unity we have here, we can go to anybody. Every one of us should be open to give a word to somebody else saying, I'm here for you. And they've counseled from the Word. Verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is Paul's prayer, and we've seen uh, throughout 1 Thessalonians that Paul was encouraging them, uh, reminding them that there was going to be that day, that the coming of the Lord, that Jesus would appear. And his desire for them was to um, you know, to be sanctified completely. Now, 
won't get into it now, but when you think about living on this earth, we have to understand we will never be sanctified completely. Why? Well, for one, we have these bodies. Does this body look sanctified to you? I don't feel sanctified in this flesh. But there's going to be a day when we have a redeemed body. Right? We'll be totally sanctified when we're in glory with the Lord. Right now we're sanctified, set apart from the world, we're set apart to the Lord. We live in this process from the time we were saved until the, process, until the time we go home to be with the Lord. That time in there, that's all sanctification. We're living in that time. And Paul's prayer is, is that they would be presented to the Lord when he comes as being blameless. Not, not perfection, because you and I are blameless in Christ Jesus. Amen? Based on what his blood has, has covered us. Let's finish then. He says, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with the holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And so we've been obedient. Not that we greet each other with a kiss. We do shake hands and hug, but it says here, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. In a few weeks, we'll begin 2 Thessalonians. But 1 Thessalonians is an amazing book filled with great exhortations given to you and I. And just in these final exhortations, there's a lot there. And we need to ask for the Spirit of God. Here I am, Lord. I think it's so, you know, I think about in chapter 1 how Paul commended this church of the Thessalonians and how they had a labor of love. They had a patience of hope. They had a work of faith. All these things he commended them, but they weren't the perfect church. They had a lot of flaws. As we get into 2 Thessalonians, we'll see some of those flaws, but there is no perfect church. Amen? But we are to be the people of God and be empowered by his Holy Spirit, coming together to live this one life we have for him, knowing that he's coming soon. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you, Lord, for these exhortations and not only calling, but instructions for us as a church, Lord. It, it's our desire, Lord, that we would be presented by you, Lord Jesus, to the Father as holy and blameless. And we pray, Lord, as uh, to do that, oh Lord, we need your help. And we thank you for your word that points us to, to the know-how, to, to follow you with all of our heart and all of our strength and all of our mind and soul, that we would glorify you. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Would you bless this people here today and those that aren't here that call this their home. Bless them abundantly with your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Hello, this is Pastor Jim from Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship located in northern Cincinnati. Thank you for listening to today's Abiding Word. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we hope the word has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord today. You can email me at PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com. That's PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com with any comments or prayer requests. You can also connect with us at Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Church website is CalvaryChapelFaithFellowship.org. There you can learn more about the ministry of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Thank you and God bless.